the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 254. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Sean O'Keefe. Welcome along, Sean. Thank you very much for uh, making the journey up from Wellington. No, thank you for having me. Now, maybe you can uh, just fill us in where you fit in the sort of tech and startup world here in New Zealand. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I am a a recent arrival. Um, I relocated to Wellington about five months ago from Austin, Texas. Uh, Previously, I guess for about 14 years, I was a producer and strategist at a festival called South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. It happens every March. I'm Uh, sure a lot of people have heard of South by Southwest. It's uh, it's pretty well known, pretty cool event from everything I hear, although it's not something I've ever made it to. It's one of those things I always keep thinking I'd like to get to. Yeah, well, I, I worked for the organization for 14 years and, and had actually never gone, um, you know, in the, on the uh, the better side of the curtain, as we would say. But uh, I did get the opportunity last March, uh, which uh, opened up the opportunity to, to relocate down here to, uh, to New Zealand and uh, run uh, the Lightning Lab Manufacturing Accelerator. Great. Well, looking forward to hearing a little bit more uh, about Lightning Lab and Lightning Lab manufacturing uh, during the podcast. But let's uh, let's dive into our topics of the week. The first one. This was actually in the New Zealand Herald. Was a story of killer USB sticks. Uh, you know, <laughs> and we've probably all, well, most of us have heard the warnings about uh, you know picking up a USB stick that you find lying around in the car park and, uh, you know, plugging it into your your computer because, you know, what if it's got some sort of virus on it? And, uh, um, you know, there should be a bit of, a bit of caution there. But um, this particular uh, story is sort of taking things to the next level, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of, it was part of me that actually kind of likes it because it, you know, basically teaches everybody, like, remember why we don't just, you know, gratuitously throw technology around and, you know, share files, but uh, but I will say that you know part of uh, my kind of gut reaction as well is you know it's like how, are we still using USB? Is that the whole thing? You know, with obviously um, you know cloud-based technology and, and Dropbox and all these other options out there uh, for file transfer. You know, it's it maybe yeah maybe it's uh, it's end of the line for USB. So uh, for those that haven't come across it, the the story we heard is that um, Russian hack. This is according to the New Zealand Herald. Russian hackers have created a USB stick that can instantly destroy any machine it is plugged into, and so yeah, basically it um, shoves a whole heap of uh, electricity. <laughs> Back down into the uh, into the device, which is um, you know apparently enough to kill a uh, a laptop, a TV, anything with a USB uh, port in it. So it's kind of ingenious in some ways, uh, yeah. but but uh, you know uh, nasty in other ways. But uh, yeah, it yeah. reminds me a bit of uh, the TV be gone. Um, you know, there's a little module that you would build that. You know, you could press a button and it would turn off all TVs. I was actually know. at Hackers Conference where the guy that invented that was speaking about this little <laughs> invention that he came up with and uh, why he enjoyed doing it. And he built it into quite a big uh, you know, business with selling these things online. Of course, you could go and make your own and, you know, the Universal Remote could do a similar thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he told us a few stories of walking into bars in interesting parts of the U.S. and uh, – you know, hitting the button and having it, you know, turn off the the screen in the middle of you know a sports match that um, you know people were watching. Yeah, so. well, that's the thing. There's a part of me that you know definitely um, 
I don't know, has a lot of appreciation for those kind of hacks, right? Yeah. You know, that, um, it, you know, it's not necessarily that I'm a, a Luddite in any way. It's just, you know, I grew up reading a, a publication called 2600 uh, Hacker Quarterly, which, you know, talked about all these um, crazy things you could do. And, and it really opened my mind to, to how technology works. And this was a time, um, perhaps I'm dating myself here, before the phone systems in the States were digital, meaning you could use... Um, something called a quarter tone generator. So you'd have a little little box, and you press a button, and it would make the same kind of analog sounds that you know your phone would do when you stuck a, a quarter in there. And, and so, yeah, fantastic fantastic period in uh, history for for hackers. And what um, when they're talking about phone systems, they were called freakers. That's right. And so, um, yeah, there's a great book um, called The Hacker Quarterly, um, or, or no, Hacker Crackdown. Um, by Bruce Sterling that uh, I highly recommend if you want to talk about the late 80s and early 90s and, and see what was happening in, in the AT&T networks mm. specifically. So Yeah, well, the the event that I I just happened upon, actually, I walked out of uh, Penn Station in, uh, in New York, and, uh, the, yeah, there was this event happening across the road. I was waiting for a friend from New Zealand, actually, to, to pick me up, and I was just sort of waiting there for him to uh, arrive and realised I was standing outside of this hackers conference, so uh, <laughs> you know I had to register and go and go and have a look yeah. around, and it was uh, you know it was all those those sorts of things, and the, you know there were yeah they published all these zines like you know you talked about with yeah. all the all the different tricks. There were uh, there were guys in there who were uh, teaching you how to pick locks. And um, yeah, um, book hacking. So you know they, they had. I remember one one area where there was somebody. One person was selling selling a book on uh, you know to do with hacking. Next to it was somebody there teaching you basically how to uh, copy books. You know to basically yeah. automate the scanning process. So you can you know take you know somebody's book and uh, and release it for free online by scanning it in and uh, you know releasing the PDF etc. Yeah. Still the Wild West. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's all, all sorts of things that go on in uh, in in the space of tech, and I, I guess some of it's pretty low tech, actually, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so yeah, so that's that's an interesting um, little piece of technology. I don't think it's something we need to be too panicked about, do we? I don't think there'll be too many of these things lying around in the in the streets. No, no. I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's probably uh, more harm you can do to your devices yourself by, uh, you know, being uh, not careful enough with what you do with your coffee cup, for example, every morning. Mm, Exactly. Um, Now, last week was uh, Intel's 6th Gen Core launch in Sydney, so uh, myself and Mauricio from uh, from GeekZone were, were there, and this was a curious event because, you know, each year Intel... Um, te- you know, tend tend to launch their next generation uh, core chips, which is you know the I- typically the i three, i five, i seven chips. What we saw this time was a quite a different approach in terms of how they were uh, promoting the advance of this the sixth generation uh, chipset, and what they did was they. They were talking about these massive improvements in performance and in, you know battery life and graphics, and it just seemed wow. I mean, I wasn't aware of all these you know stats. They just seemed you know through the roof. And then I clicked on to what they were talking about, and um, with this with this Skylake generation of processors, 
they've decided to market them in a different way. So instead of comparing them to how they compare with last year's uh, chips, with the fifth generation chips, mm-hmm. uh, their references were to what computers was the norm with computers made four or five years ago. Uh, so I was sort of left scratching my head a little bit about that. So it was, a yeah, this um, this way of saying, look, it's amazing compared to, and I think what they were trying to say is they were trying to compare it to what the average computer is out there in people's homes. Because mm-hmm. most businesses will tend to roll over their computers every three years. That's, you know, what the warranty is for, you know, to get the best performance and, you know, productivity and risk of it not falling over while you're you know, busy having to do work. Most businesses will do that sort of three-year cycle. Um, so, you know, first, the you know, the, the time period they were talking about didn't relate to businesses anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe it related to uh, to the average in homes, but it, it, it just seemed a strange way to uh, to promote them. What do you think about this? Yeah, I, I still think this is a marketing department fail, you know, right? Because, like, you know, nobody really, I wouldn't say nobody, but the people that care about these kind of stats are, are, are folks like us, right? So we're the only ones paying attention. So they should, they should know uh, who their audience is when they release this stuff, right? Um, because, you know, most uh, people, as you mentioned, that, you know, have, have decent machines and stuff in their homes and are looking to, to upgrade, you know, they just want to know, is it is it bigger, faster, stronger, you know, is the performance better and all that mm. stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious uh, who in the marketing department and ended up making that call yeah i think you know there's something that, that i've noticed from some of the events that uh, get invited to and there's the, the sort of general move uh, when trying to promote new technologies is to try and relate it to a non-tech audience and so mm-hmm. yeah you'll be at an event and it might be for a smartphone or a watch or uh, you know something maybe that's got a fitness relationship with it, or what in terms of what it does, and uh, you know there are fashion journalists and you know just a whole mix of people there, and I, you know I can see why you know that m- makes sense. The more people that uh, you know that a that a technology brand can get talking about their product, you know generally uh, you know the more that's going to help them in terms of selling it. But it means that the messaging sort of often gets really sort of dulled down. And then you'll get people reporting, "Wow, this is two hundred and fifty percent faster," uh, because that audience won't won't know any better, and they might lose the bit about the four to five years as well because they're not really thinking about it. Uh, so you end up with some uh, some pretty confused uh, stories out there in the in the media. Yeah, I wonder if you could even get like a Moore's law slowing down question mark kind of thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. about, about the how quickly computers um, advance in, in terms of their power and, and, and processing abilities. So. I know. Mm. Interesting time. Yeah, I mean, what we do know is there are some really cool devices that are coming out with this, you know, these new sixth-generation chips. So last week we talked a little bit about Microsoft's new Surface Book, mm-hmm. which we did a little bit of research into it, and since it was announced last uh, well, week or, or so back, maybe it's closer to, to two weeks now, we found out that Microsoft have already sold out, so there's basically none of them available in the world for about I don't know, six to eight eight weeks. It's not being launched anywhere other than this is interesting. Where where the new Surface Book from Microsoft is being launched, I know you've you've followed this. We were chatting about earlier in terms of the product, but the interesting things I picked up about the launch were that the um, the first Surface Book is or the first country it's launching in is in the US on the 26th of October. 
and then I was I was talking to somebody in the in the US who's a big a journalist focused very much on Microsoft there in the US, and she mentioned that. Oh, on the 26th of October here in New York City, uh, Microsoft are opening their uh, their first you know proper New York store, and so there's an interesting sort of alignment there with the launch of the Surface Book and the new Surface Pro products in the US uh, is the, the the 26th of October. So um, that was uh, Mary Jo Foley from ZDNet mentioned that, and then I was looking, and there were a lot of people in the UK seeming a bit annoyed that the Surface Book didn't have any sort of a launch date in the UK, but curiously there was a launch date for Australia. I thought, why have they picked Australia? This is really unusual. And then I had a look at the date for Australia, and it launches in Australia on the 12th of November, the same day that the first Microsoft store outside of North America mm-hmm. uh, opens in Sydney. So they, you know, they've taken this big product and uh, you know they're launching it in a manner that will allow them because they're, you know, I guess not going to be that many locations. Um, but they were able to give these two stores a really big push, and in fact, for their Sydney store, that you know they've already announced that that people will be able to line up from ten thirty p.m. the night before. Sounds and awfully like another company and yeah, their marketing strategy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So it was kind of kind of fascinating. Um, but yeah, I had a little bit of a, a sort of a chuckle, you know, because initially when I saw them, read them, uh, you know, read that they were going to have people queuing up, I was thinking, well, why would anyone queue up for the opening of? You know of of this Microsoft store the the night before, and basically you can't get the Surface Book any other way uh, than by you know mm-hmm. go, going to the store. And I'm sure they'll have other good giveaways and incentives to encourage people to uh, to line up for it. But uh, yeah, we will see what what they get in terms of attention. But um, yeah, well, I, I think they missed a, f- a fantastic opportunity to to do the whole trick or treat thing and just go with. Uh October 31st, Halloween. Time with Halloween. Big deal in the yeah, States. So. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But anyone that's after the Surface Book, it's going to be pretty hard to get your hands on it by all accounts, unless you want to uh, jump on a plane and uh, and head to Sydney, then you can get it mid or well, 12th, of, 12th of November. Or I guess if you want to jump on a plane and head to the US, you can get it next week on the 20, 26th of October. Yeah, it um, does add to the cost a little bit. but uh. <laughs> It does, although we've now got the, uh, the the pricing for the top model of the Surface, uh, I think the, the, Surf, yeah, the Surface Book, the top model, which has the one terabyte uh, solid-state drive in it, and that's coming in at 3200 US So if we translate that into New Zealand dollars, add a bit of GST, I would say we're going to be around the $5,000 uh, Mark, so it's pretty oh. much makes it one of the one of the top uh, most expensive laptops available uh, in the market. It's been a been a while since I've come across a five thousand dollar laptop. I do remember when yeah, it was pretty normal to pay for a uh, an IBM ThinkPad uh, back in the day, probably fifteen years ago, in the direction of ten k for for one of those business class devices, and they've you know, come down a lot since then. Uh, but yeah, this pushes the pushes the needle back in uh, in into those sort of higher prices again. Yeah, well, and you know, I mean, they're they're trying to make a play for that premium market, and, and you know, I wish them all the best with that. It's it's they've made a lot of headways. We were discussing earlier, and I actually, um, you know, have friends who own you know Microsoft Surface devices, and it, it, it's great. You know, it's good to see. And Apple certainly needs the competition. So yeah, you know, I think it's always a good thing for the market to have some competition. But you know, this is a different sort of space. We haven't really yeah. seen uh, anyone playing in these you know really premium laptop market really against 
Apple or not particularly successfully really for uh, for a long time so you know obviously we've had the business type machines that have been around a long time from the Lenovo's and 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 so on but yeah I think this is this is good and well look forward to getting hands on one but I've, I've chatted to a couple of people uh, that were there at the event and their feedback was a really really nice premium product they weren't quite sure what it would be like until they you know got hands on with it they said it's it's really neat um, the way that the uh, the tablet piece separates up from the from the keyboard you hit the sort of eject button and it sort of disengages because it, it really locks the two pieces together they said that's really nice and it's just got an overall really good feel to it so looking forward to getting my hands on it not quite sure what date that will be but uh, sometime in the, in the next few weeks we'll uh, hopefully have it to play with and uh, the surface pro 4 i think you know in the next week or two hopefully we'll be able to chit chat about that one as, as well which looks that is certainly a you know a good step up and it's it's a reflection of that that new uh the new sixth generation um you know chip from in, intel uh the the new skylake chip and you know it it allows them to bump up you know performance and in, in graphics and you know just general performance and improve battery life and so on so uh, looks like a good step forward at the launch, there were quite a broad range of products, but two stood out as being interesting. Uh, HP and Lenovo both doing products that looked very much like a, well, it looked very much like surfaces, but just with, you know, with some small variations. So, you know, it seems that Microsoft really have created a new category there with the, the Surface product. And I guess in recent weeks, we've had Intel and uh, it's not Intel, uh, you know, Google and Apple sort of, you know, uh, announcing, uh, you know, tablets that were sort of converged with, you know, these thin keyboards that could attach to them and looking somewhat surface-like. Uh, but now, you know, we're also seeing the PC manufacturers really starting to push into that space. Is this an area, Sean, that sort of interests you? What do you like to use in terms of a, a device? I know you use a lot of Google services and so on. Are you as far as sort of being a Chromebook person or are you Windows or Mac? Yeah, um, fascinated with the, the Chromebooks, actually, yeah. um, just because of, you know, once you kind of commit to going full cloud, you know, it, it, it's hard to go back. And it's, it's kind of definitely a shift in thinking, um, but I found it to be really helpful. Um, you know, I was going to comment that, you know, a lot of people that I see, if you go around to coffee shops and co-working spaces, they've got their iPad there with a, a Bluetooth keyboard, mm. you know, and, and that's a, a very common kind of workstation now. So it's great to see this kind of other category emerging. Um, well, it's a know, bit more functional, isn't it? There's something when you have a disconnected, you know, keyboard that needs charging separately and so on. It's not, you know, quite as, as practical. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, there's, you know, as much as, you know, um, touch and all kinds of other haptic things are, are the interfaces of the future you know there's those of us who have been around the block a few times who like to make noise punching on a keyboard and so there's a, a sizable portion of the market that that still applies to so yeah and I, you know, I think from a productivity perspective it, you still get some benefit out of a mm-hmm. out of a keyboard at the moment um so yeah Okay, um, so yeah, lots more there really around the um, uh, those Skylake processors. There'll be lots of products announced, but I, you know, I think what we've seen in terms of availability from Microsoft uh, on their new Surface Book and even some of their Surface Pro products talks to the fact that these are just becoming available. Um, there won't be probably a huge number of them available. So yeah, Microsoft. I'm guessing Microsoft's main issue here. Uh, isn't the other parts in the surface? It's it's you know probably in large the quantity of the, of these uh, Skylake processors or sixth generation core processors that are available um, 
in the market. I haven't researched that heavily, but that's my guess. It tends to be when the new chips come out, they're a little bit constrained in terms of availability. And Microsoft did sort of jump the gun there by announcing pretty early, um, though some of the others have, have done similar things. Now, other things I found interesting was um, Tesla's announcements, which we've actually been waiting on for a little while, of the software update for uh, for the for the Tesla that basically delivers a level of sort of autonomous uh, driving with you know with the existing vehicles, which I thought was pretty cool. There's a few few videos went up on uh, YouTube pretty much immediately. In fact, I think there were, you know some people had access to uh, to the update sort of before launch. So there are a few media that had taken these things for a um, not quite a backseat drive, but uh, <laughs> you know people you know driving down the road with their hand hands off the steering wheel and uh, you know just what being sort of sitting there quite uncomfortably in most cases. You know, watching the vehicle sort of you know navigate into another lane and following other vehicles that have looked like an okay distance and so on. This stuff looks pretty cool. This is kind of the, I mean, we've had Mercedes with some similar technology for a little while, but it's just it's just starting to get real, isn't it? Yeah, I think we knew we need some new terms to describe kind of human behavior in these kind of uh, automobiles. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Um, I think you know the future. It just solves so many issues um, in terms of you know whether you're talking about. Um, you know, the number of lives lost on the roads every year, um, everything else. But there's part of me that, you know, again, the, the control freak in me that, you know, grew up with cars and as, you know, that's how I communicated with my dad. And that was our kind of um, common language. Yeah, exactly. Interest, otherwise, yeah. we would have been in a big trouble. But um, yeah, and so there is, uh, I'm curious about, um, you know, car culture and, and how that's going to evolve evolve with this. And um, And it's the same thing with the electric car as well, so... Yeah, you know, I th- I think we'll we'll see that sort of enthusiasm. I mean, it's it's I guess it's always been in recent years anyway. It's become a bit more of a niche to be a, a real car enthusiast, and I think that you know that will happen more and more. You know, there's that that movement of young people to you know to have more of an interest in you know things like smartphones, gadgets, and technology. Uh, as a teenager, than in in their cars, whereas you know going back you know twenty or so years before we had uh, you know the, the, phones, these other yeah. things, right? Um, you know that was sort of a you know rite of passage as a as a teenager and someone growing up was getting your license and getting your first car and so on. You know as we move to a world where you know we're being driven around in Uber, Ubers and driverless Ubers and so on. Yeah, you know, the importance of the car sort of will will very much change, I think, yeah. in terms of a mainstream society, won't it? No, you're exactly right. We were talking about this before and how, you know, a lot of my friends who have teenagers, um, they don't get their driver's license. They just they're not worried about it. They may, you know, end up having to get it two, three, four, five years later that you know, when I was growing up, it was like, that's what you did on your birthday, on your 16th birthday. And, you know, back in the States, that's that's what you did. You went and got your driver's license. And yeah, you're exactly right. You know, um, the, the whole concept of freedom um, has, has changed. So it's very much a generational thing. So I think, you know, a lot of, uh, of kids and, and young folks that grow up in the digital world, you know, for them, an, an autonomous car is, is no big deal. Yeah, it's just how it is. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of curious how that's go. You know, some of those things are going to move. For instance, uh, you know, we put a babysitter in a in an Uber, you know, to send her home, and yeah, I remember a, a comment from her 
mother saying, <laughs> oh, there are rules around, you know, what age a you know, person has to be to ride in the vehicle on their own. So it's like, well, okay, well, we'll go in the, ve- you know, one of us will go in the vehicle with her home and then, you know, come come back again if, you know, if that's a concern. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, there, there might need to be some, you know, rules and laws sort of, you know, again, catching up with this this sort of thing because, you know, a, a, a child can jump on their, you know, bicycle and ride to school and do these sorts of things, but, you know, maybe not allowed to jump inside a, yeah. a, a vehicle in certain, uh, you know, s- situations. You bring up another really interesting problem, right? Because when we were growing up, it's like, you know, mom, dad can have the car keys, but now our kids are going to be hacking the cars <laughs> and running off with them and sneaking out. So it's... Yeah. Yeah. I think we're we're in trouble there. Keep yeah. keeping an extra smartphone with a separate <laughs> exactly. secret Uber account on it, and yeah, climbing out the window and uh, jumping into this autonomous vehicle and off somewhere where you can't trace them because they've they've left their main smartphone behind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I guess um, yeah, I'll learn. I'll be well. I'll be part of that journey. My uh, my son Pablo is is almost five, so he, you know he'll be starting school soon and. Yeah, I, I'm going to get to sort of travel that uh, that journey of you know so much. There's already so much technology, of course, now, but there's going to be so much more that's going to come up. You know, as he's you know going through primary school and you know into high school and and beyond, and uh, you know, doubt there'll be some some interesting discussions around the the technologies and 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 choices that that you know as parents that we have to make, and you know things that he'll be pushing for. What technologies are in the schools, and are we happy oh, yeah. with it? Well, I, I don't know about you, but as far as my six year old um, is concerned, um, you know, he may live in a world where he doesn't ever learn to drive. You know, much like so many people today don't know how to drive um, stick you know or manual transmission um, and you know that's probably a good thing with my DNA it's, it's uh, <laughs> he's gonna be much safer if he doesn't know how to drive and has to rely on these other services so what what about reading a, a, an analog clock handwriting I mean are all of these things gonna go by the wayside I, I don't know um, you know I will say that um, as somebody who you know loves technology and, and all this stuff, I actually exclusively wear analog watches. Um, you know, as much as I love kind of the old calculator watches, you know, that I grew up with, uh, the '80s and the, the Casios and the whatnot. Space Invader watch? Did you ever try? Oh uh, yeah, those? yeah, mm. that's awesome. <laughs> but, but you know, for me, it, um, particularly, I have a number of analog watches that I have to physically wind. And I think what is nice about this, and it, I know it sounds completely crazy, but it's you know the the kind of meditation of winding a watch every morning kind of reminds you of the preciousness of time and the number of hours in that day which you you know don't always get in a digital environment right it's it's infinite this and you know as much of this as you need and so um so yeah i don't know i think um it's interesting to see uh like for example the the hottest watch company right now in the u.s um, is a company called shinola uh, from detroit and you know it, there's nothing about it that, that's digital at all, and it's really about the story of them going into the community in Detroit after the, the collapse, you know, that happened there, and and you know, building this uh, amazing company that's just making kind of watches, actually from parts from all over the world, um, you know. So they went out and looked at, uh, did a number of uh, focus groups, and you know, there's obviously the Made in America thing used to carry a lot of, of weight with consumers. And they ran a focus group around, all right, made in China versus made in America. And people were like, ah, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, the world is flat. You know, all these other things. But they put uh, made in America up against made in Detroit. And, you know, everybody, you know, wanted to support Detroit. And so it's a really kind of interesting 
kind of case study in, in terms of products and, and manufacturing and kind of the role of uh, you know passion and you know the community vibes and everything like that so yeah that's cool there's a lot that we uh, you know have seen sort of falling away in terms of traditional things and mm-hmm. you know sometimes we don't know what we've lost you know there will be I guess opportunities to to maybe recapture some of some of those things over time and sometimes we'll uh, we'll just realize actually that old way of doing things was was pretty good and uh, yeah it's like the have you heard of the concept of perishable knowledge you know this is something that like anthropologists talk about a lot right I mean, and, and the same things apply to the technology we use you know like how many of us can go access files or even our music library from five years ago, ten years ago? I know I can't, you know. So it's um, it's quite interesting. But, mm. but I'm one of those weirdos that buys vinyl. So you know, vinyl vinyl's still cool. <laughs> Third uh, harmonic well, it's, distortion it's, is still cool. What do you, yeah, but no. well, but you know, I'm picking you're someone that's always liked vinyl, though. Whereas you know, for a lot of people, they've just got back into you know they've just got into vinyl, right? Because there was a, a window of time you couldn't buy vinyl, but you know, you've been involved in the music world for a long time. Um, so that that's an interest you've had, you know, longer than just since it's been yeah. back in vogue over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think you and I were, were chatting about our, our kind of uh, dark pasts in the music and audio <laughs> industries. Um, but yeah, as a, a former uh, audio engineer, that was very much a, a passion of mine in, in terms of um, really that kind of came out of, um, you know, the new wave and punk rock movement in, in the 80s. And, you know, that vinyl was you know, how you could afford to release your music at that time. You know, you didn't have this amazing distribution platform called the internet and all these other things. So, yeah. Cool. Now, there's a, there's some, some gadgetry that we've had uh, arrive, and there's another gadget that we haven't seen yet, but kind of curious about, um, the BlackBerry um, Priv, it's spelled. I haven't even checked how it's pr- pronounced. Have you, uh, have you checked up on that, P-R-I-V? I pronounce everything incorrectly in this country. What are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, no, you've been you've been doing good. So uh, so that's that's the new BlackBerry. Uh, it's finally sort of seeing the light of day. It's the first sort of Android based BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the slide out keyboard. Looks pretty cool from the, the videos online. And yeah, finally we're seeing a you know a, a BlackBerry that kind of can can do probably everything that you'd want to do on a modern smartphone. Uh, plus, it's got you know BlackBerry sort of software layers in there. You know, it's got a physical keyboard, which yeah, maybe most of us are sort of past needing a physical keyboard anymore. Uh, but the fact that it just sort of slides out means you've got that choice of whether you use an on-screen keyboard or use a physical keyboard. You can pick and choose there, and it looks pretty good in terms of its camera and all the other bits and pieces. It looks you know actually like a, a great smartphone. Um, do you have any picks on this? I mean, there's, there's still a lot of people in, in government and varying areas of, of work who use Blackberries, and, and still I come across one or two every now and then who are you know <laughs> have have some preference for BlackBerry because you know they've used it yeah. for so long or with their analog you know, watches there's, there's and particular, uh, yeah, yeah yeah there's particular bits and pieces actually my son picked up was in here the other day and there's there's always lots of smartphones around and uh, you know he he's just got into sort of you know playing with phones and so on so he picked it up and was pretending to make a call on it and uh, you know so I, I asked him what he thought of uh, BlackBerry but yeah he, he, he didn't share too many uh, thoughts there on uh, on it but there, there obviously is, is some place some places for it and, and hence why they're uh, you know they're going down this track yeah and i think you know from what i understand this is kind of their last you know big play right and, and to make uh, blackberry a, a success in the smartphone market um, um but yeah I, I am always surprised at how loyal they're in particular 
you know, small segment of, you know, folks that, um, you know, were used to that enterprise experience, you know, um, from many years ago. So, it, it, you know, it's great to see BlackBerry trying to, to get back that, that mojo and, and make the magic happen again. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, again, the power of the QWERTY keyboard, uh, it's still, uh, it's still here. It's here to stay. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's been that sort of swing back to the QWERTY keyboard, you know, when we were talking about tablets and the Surface mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, you know, people realizing that you know, actually, you know, you can be more productive with a QWERTY keyboard, you know, physical keyboard, than you can with an on-screen keyboard in a lot of in a lot of cases. So, yeah, I can I, I can see a bit of appeal there, and if it's you know ticks all the boxes in the other areas, which you know, which it, which it mostly seems to do. Um, yeah, I think they'll they'll sell one or two, but uh, you yeah, know, I don't I, I don't like their long term sort of you know chances in that particular uh, space, no. or, or even you know a company as as a whole because there's probably not enough uh, you know breadth to their their sort of range of offerings in in the market. Yeah, un- unless they can capture the like ironic hipster kind of thing, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what phone is that? You know, because so many people today obviously the phone is whatever reason tied to fashion and identity and all these other things and just being a geek and i yeah if they play their cards right they could uh they could could fall into that it was interesting because i got asked that question uh on tv3 a couple of weeks ago uh when when we were i was showing off the uh the nexus 6p that huawei launched and uh yeah paul henry asked me the question he said you know what what would be sort of the cool phone to have Right now, and yeah, I thought, well, actually, the Nexus phones there's a bit of an edge they've got because of their their software, but they're not, you know, that sort of broad like Samsung and and Apple that you know had said, well, actually, I you know I think some people would find that uh, that to be quite a cool you know device uh, right now, and yeah, certainly if you can fall into that into that space where uh, the device you've got is uh, is not quite so mainstream, little little bit edgy, then uh, yeah, you could uh, you could definitely pick up on that yeah. audience. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we go to uh, wanted to chat about um, DXO Mark. Now they do this uh, uh, comparison across all of the smartphones of the cameras, and curiously. The new iPhone 6S and and 6S Plus, which you know Apple would certainly have us sort of believe that's got the best uh, you know the best camera out there, and uh, seems to actually have pretty pretty good pretty capable uh, camera. Um, but yeah, looking at this new chart, the guys at DxO Mark are saying, well, actually the um, the iPhone 6 has a fractionally better camera than the than the 6S now. You have to drill down into their reasoning and and reviews for this because you know looking at some of the you know the improved capabilities, I'm not quite sure I'd be agreeing with them on that in terms of some of the, some of the differences there. But I guess that you know the the move from say an eight megapixel to a twelve megapixel camera that introduced some sort of challenges in terms of letting light in and so on. Um, but there were a few other interesting things. So right at the top, they were saying the number one you know best smartphone camera is in Sony's Xperia Z5. So we've got that here. So we'll have a little chat about that shortly. Um, next up after that was the um, Samsung Galaxy S6, and then followed by the Google uh, Nexus 6P, the, the the new phone launching from uh, Huawei. Then we move down. Yeah, there's a range of other handsets before we get to uh, the the iPhones and then the um, Galaxy S5 and and so on. But yeah, quite quite curious that you know Sony. I guess they make a lot of the the sensors and they've landed right at the top of the stack 
Also, there's as the as the newest phone, and it hasn't actually quite launched here in New Zealand yet, and neither has the uh, Huawei um, uh, slash Google Nexus 6P. But uh, yeah, it's quite curious. We've really got Google right at the top of the stack. The other thing that was noticeable, and I haven't delved into um, you know the the full story, was there was nothing here from um, none of the Lumia phones that were previously Nokia phones or Microsoft phones. Um, I'm not sure whether that's because they didn't review them or whether they just didn't get on the charts. Because usually those are considered you know right at the top end as far as their uh, their cameras are concerned. So yeah, kind of kind of curious results there. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, I'm I'm holding the Sony Xperia in my hand right now, and I have to say I, I quite like the form factor. Yeah, so this um, one, that's the Z5 Compact that you're holding. So there's both the Compact and there's the uh, um, the larger form factor uh, Z5. But yeah, I found that too. It's uh, it's a bit thicker than, for instance, you know, the I, you know, the new iPhone. It's got a nice feel, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a nice weight to it, and then I actually I think that thickness in the edge, the way that there's actually a, a kind of raised edge uh, that runs along it, that just gives it a good kind of you know tactile feel. Um, yeah, and this is the thing, you know, it's it's there's an old uh, kind of a Saturday Night Live skit where the uh, the mobile phone kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and, until. I think it was Saturday Night Live where they're just holding it, you know, in between two fingers. And I think, you know, it's it's always important to remember what our actual interface is with these devices. And I, I think Sony's done a really great job here at, at kind of nailing that. Um, and obviously some buttons on the side for camera mode. Um, but you would never know um, from looking at this that, you know, it, it's top of the charts, you know. Um, it's it's And that's what I quite like about it. It's It's understated. It is, yeah, it is quite an understated device. I've enjoyed sort of the waterproof, you know, nature of the Xperia Z uh, series of phones, and they've been releasing them quite rapidly. I think, you know, we're probably only looking back two and a half years when the first Z came out. We're now up to the Z5, so you know they've had this sort of, uh, you know, faster cycle of of releasing handsets than uh, than most of the others. But that uh, waterproof aspect of it's been good. Um, yeah, overall, very, yeah, very capable smartphone really good cameras and you know it's it's interesting just to see uh, that they've come out that you know at the, at the top of the you know this particular uh, review I'm sure different people will give uh, yeah, different results but yeah 23 megapixel camera is yeah is pretty you know pretty high resolution to be having in your phone I did um, I did some um, a lot of photos over the weekend actually I was in Wellington for uh, for a 21st for my niece and um, so I used both the uh, 6P, the Nexus Huawei 6P, uh, and the iPhone for a, a lot of shots, and there were fireworks and you know varying other uh, you know things after it got dark. And it did remind me how you know we we get so used to using our smartphone for for everything, including to be our, our everything camera. But the the quality even on you know these top end phones compared to uh, you know, a, a top-end, uh, you know, camera, digital SLR that's actually fixed on a tripod and what you can get off a shaking phone in your hand. There's still a really big difference there. Uh, I mean, the photos came out looking good on the screen, but once you drill down and say, oh, let's blow up that, that looks really cool, and suddenly you realise, oh, that whole face is blurred out and you can't see anything. And, uh, you know, there's probably not so much technology can do about solving some of these issues or maybe not in the next one to two years anyway. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me personally, I, I have that same struggle. A lot of the phones that I've been using just it doesn't have 
good quality enough photos. And part of what's driving this for me is, is what is known as the responsive web, right? So mm-hmm. now when you post photos online, um, you know, browsers are showing them at, at all kinds of different sizes and on a mobile device and um, at different, you know, web browser resolutions, and it gets quite complicated. And I've noticed that, you know, on, on even some of the, like, older SLRs, like, you know, um, for example, my partner has an, an older Nikon D40, um, and even on its highest setting, you know, its photos, um, you know, aren't, aren't looking good in a web environment. So it, it's, you know, depending on what you're producing content for is going to play a, a big role in that. I mean, if you're just using it for Instagram and throwing filters on it and, and whatnot, you can generally get away with um, even an average phone these days. But, but yeah, it's great to see that uh, these, this number of megapixels in this phone. So, Yep. I mean, just, we've got that constant, constant improvement, but there's always still room for more improvement, yeah. right? Um, now, one other device just uh, worth mentioning, and I haven't had a chance for a, a, a good play with this yet, but uh, I've just got hands on it, is um, TomTom's um, new cardio and music or runner uh, what are we calling it? The I've got here a title of Runner Two Cardio Plus Music, but it's just the next generation, and there are varying models uh, coming through from TomTom. But it's their next generation of you know watch that's really geared up for helping uh, track your fitness. So you know they handle whole range of uh, things from you know running, cycling to you know in the gym and 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 so on, swimming. And this next generation also allows you to have, um, I think they're sort of talking around 500 or so uh, songs. So, you know, there's a chunk of storage in there for your audio. Um, and they use Bluetooth to get to your headphones. So, you can, you know, um, I think that's a, that's a smart approach rather than having sort of a, a, a wired uh, connection back to your, uh, your device. And, of course, the other features that they've had for a while in terms of, you know, built-in heart rate monitor, being TomTom, of course, it, it's got GPS. It's a GPS watch, um, so you can, you know, basically get out there, you know, do your run, do your exercise without having to carry a smartphone uh, around with you because it's pretty much, uh, you know, self-contained in terms of those uh, those functions. And yeah, this is uh, it seems to have been a, a constant evolution for uh, for TomTom since they originally sort of partnered up with Nike, I think about four years ago, and uh, and launched their sort of first GPS watch with Nike. Have you had a look at uh, some of these devices? What's your sort of uh, you know pick on this sort of gadget? Do you think there's a you know a big market opportunity for it? it seems you know where there's a growing interest. Uh, Fitbit, Apple Watch, you know, um, Samsung. I had a look at uh, Samsung's new Gear S2 you know, today. There's just so many products coming through here, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really exciting space. And I think, you know, I'm, as I, I may have mentioned to you before the show, I'm an avid cyclist. So I'm always, you know, looking at my biometrics and tracking data. And um, I, I love using Strava and these other apps. And you know, as a cyclist, I've always been a bit frustrated because, you know, a lot of these devices are designed for runners, which is great because that's, you know, you can listen to music when you run and you can, you know, and, and it's great. Um, but I don't have those kind of knees anymore, unfortunately. Um, I have to, to stay on the bike and, and, you know, on a bike, you, you know, you really shouldn't be listening to music I mean, you know, <laughs> doing these other things. Um, you know, I, I see cyclists listening to music sometimes and I, I want to run them over as a cyclist. So, um, but you know, again, just safety is what about uh, really podcasts. Important. 
Well, you know, of course, yeah, we do make an exception <laughs> for podcasts when you are home and recovery time. But, um, but no, this is great to see. And, and what's important to point out is, is the TomTom, along with a lot of the other latest devices, are really part of an ecosystem of products that use Bluetooth. Um, for example, if you want to use a separate um, heart rate monitor or, you know, have Bluetooth transmit your data to another device, you know, all these companies have become quite smart at, at using Bluetooth um, to make that happen and, and sync. And I think... Um, I think that we were chatting a bit about how the, the very first smartwatch that I ever wore was um, the Basis Carbon Steel. So Basis started out as a, a company on Kickstarter, um, released their kind of first version, did a, their next version of the Carbon Steel, and then the Basis Peak. And I think actually that was just after they were bought by Intel, um, which was, I think, uh, amazing for that company, but also a bit controversial for those who had put up the initial funding to get the company off the ground. Um, but, you know, that was a fantastic product. And I think, you know, again, you know, right now the average consumer only uses, you know, a, a Fitbit or these kind of products for about six months. So I think there's there's a lot that needs to be done uh, to really get the level of engagement up um, and, you know, and, and to where it's not just a device that, you know, you give somebody your partner as a gift and then, you know, ends up just on the in a drawer in the bedside table, you know, kind of uh, becoming obsolete. And I think that, um, you know, whoever nails that space and, and gets the integration right, whether that's, you know, gamified via some kind of, you know, Facebook social component or anything else. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's great to see TomTom Tom doing stuff here. I know um, Fitbit is, is doing a lot of that now as well, for example, where you do have a social experience with, with your mates and you can compete. And, you know, obviously this is kind of a big part of, of Strava, for example, is being able to, to have a social network with your friends. And, and again, they're, they're trying to do a lot so that people actually use these services and use these devices for longer. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there there is new bits of software that comes into that space as well, which mm-hmm. is designed to help with that performance lab here in Auckland, who also I think got some funding from uh, from the Intel side of things, uh, who have got their uh, performance coaching uh, software that was you know ties into uh, almost have that sort of personal uh, trainer type of, you know experience. So uh, curious how that will um, how that will grow for them over the over the time ahead and as we get more and more smarts actually in the watch that you know their software at the moment which I think sort of tends to sit in a smartphone uh, you know maybe could end up actually sitting in the in the wearable itself yeah I think the algorithms are getting better and better all the time um, and it really you know does come down to the insights that you know that the software can provide you you know mm-hmm. like because most of us know like okay my sleep was really terrible last night like I'm telling you the truth like I got probably two hours of sleep last night yeah, yeah I okay. don't need my smartwatch to tell me that but um, but it is you know for those who are having particular fitness goals in mind or even for um, you know, semi-professional athletes who who love to just track their data. Um, you know, something like the TomTom Spark is great. You know, because you get um, much better GPS functionality that you'll get um, in, in some cases with most smartphones. Um, you know, certainly battery life is less of an issue. Um, so there's there's all kinds of advantages of these kind of devices over just using an app on your in your smartphone. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I imagine you know whether it's the TomTom Spark or you know some other you know devices in in time, you know, we'll end up with ways to sort of push that data around a, you know a, a little bit more, and you know, ultimately maybe be a little bit more uh, proactive in terms of maybe healthcare that you know your doctor's getting a you know bits and pieces of data pushed at you know at your own request but you know allowing them to see certain bits and pieces so you know maybe they can let you know proactively if 
if you know maybe their intelligence sort of uh, system you know picks up something that they they would want to uh, they'd want to know about and you know hold on you talk to me about xyz problem and and now i'm seeing this you know data being fed that this is what your heart rate's doing or look you you know you're averaging one and a half hours worth of sleep a night for you know two weeks in a row time to talk you know etc oh, yeah. so, uh, that that space is one that um everybody is racing too in fact i co-founded a health technology startup that you know does so you know again it's like when i say everybody's racing to that space everybody yeah, <laughs> so cool. it's, uh, but you're exactly right and i think new zealand I, I should say is very well positioned to be a leader in this space um, for example in the states um, because of the the role of insurance companies and just how the kind of hot mess that's healthcare in the u.s um, a lot of times you can't share data um, across state lines and it's just it's just much more complex and so i think new zealand has a a fantastic opportunity to be able to do some really amazing things with their data Um, and and every now and then i hear of some really cool kind of things in the background that um you know we probably can't talk about just yet but yeah 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 and you know often these things are um are sort of secret secret squirrel for the was what (laughs) i was trying to uh, uh say now let's um let's jump in i want to hear a little bit about lightning lab or in particular lightning lab manufacturing which is why you were made the jump to new zealand from from austin you've uh uh, brought your family along, your wife and uh, and 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 two children that you mentioned. Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a pretty big move. What is it that sort of excited you about uh, Lightning Lab manufacturing and and tell us what that's that's oh, yeah. about? You know, what, why why you've done this? Yeah, how much time do we have? No, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, I you know I had as I mentioned um, at, at the top of the show, I had uh, been very involved in running an emerging technology event in Austin, Texas, and and Austin's the part of Texas that is not the Texas that you know in the media. It's more like a piece of California, um, you know, very progressive community. I don't know if they'll let me back in. Having said that, though, that it is like a piece <laughs> of California. But, um, but you know, a, a fantastic place, um, you know, quite an amazing startup community and culture. And, um, you know, I ended up, after 14 years, um, you know, leaving to, to do some other things, the, the company I mentioned a second ago, um, and went to the event for the first time this past March. And, and I, I literally was... Um, exploring one of the new hotel properties that had just opened up because they can't build hotels fast enough in Austin these days and um, ended up in a career fair and I'm I'm walking along and there's two mountain bikers kind of going down a mountain and it said rush hour and you know I happened to comment oh that you know because I'm always commenting on advertising and marketing and usually making fun of it but um, I was like I said that's going to resonate really well in Austin because there's a big cycling community here um, and, and at the time I had you know my helmet on and my you know goofy shoes for the clipless pedals and everything and um, yeah just started having a, a chat um, with someone that worked at Grow Wellington and they had recommended that I meet uh, you know Stefan Korn from Creative HQ who runs the kind of startup base in Wellington and um, ended up taking this meeting with no expectations. I mean, this is what you do at these large events, right? You just kind of go with the flow and take advantage of these kind of strange serendipitous moments. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of come about from all the collisions of, of very diverse groups of people coming together. And, uh, yeah, uh, Stefan and I had a, had a chat and he described how he was at South by Southwest looking for somebody to head up a product and manufacturing accelerator, the, the first of its kind in New Zealand. Uh, and um, because of my involvement in the, the kind of maker movement, um, and, you know, that was a big part of my role at South by Southwest was, um, you know, basically bringing in people that did really cool things with technology. And um, I 
helped run an event called South by Southwest Create, which was kind of our maker fair, for those of you that have heard of um, maker fairs. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a win-win. And, um, you know, Stefan was like, well, you know, I'd need you on a plane next week to come and check it out. <laughs> and I, I texted my partner and said, hey, how do you feel about moving to New Zealand? And, yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, five months ago now. Um, but, yeah, Lightning Lab um, is an acceleration program. Um, and there's a number of digital programs that have been run for people that, you know, are creating apps and web services and APIs and many other businesses. Um, and the, there's a digital program actually running right now in Christchurch um, that's going to have their big demo day on November 5th. And this is their program ends. Um, you know, they bring in investors from all over New Zealand um, and the, the companies that really have only, you know, been formed, you know, three months prior in this kind of business crash course of how to, um, grow their business using um, something called lean startup methodologies, and um, which is basically about making sure there's a market and making sure that people want to buy your product before you make it. And so, you know, that's happening down in Christchurch, and then in Wellington, uh, actually in Lower Hutt, uh, in Wellington, uh, we have the very first Lightning Lab manufacturing. So it's the first hardware accelerator, um, the first true hardware accelerator in New Zealand. Uh, we're also taking. Uh, we've got seven ventures um, who all have very different ideas um, through this three-month program where they get to kind of, you know, learn a lot um, and, and go through uh, quite a, a very rapid um, acceleration and, and, you know, get them to where um, they were investable on Demo Day. And our Demo Day is on November 19th um, down in Lower Hutt. Which, um, wow, so that's coming up very oh, soon. Oh, yeah. This, it's, are, are any of, the, are, are any of uh, those involved getting uh, getting much sleep, or is this a, is this a pretty crazy unfortunately, endeavor? My, unfortunately, that uh, two hours, hopefully I can increase that a little bit. But, yeah, it's uh, the next uh, four weeks will be... Uh, a little, a little brutal um, in terms of that. I'm not wearing a smartwatch to track my sleep because I don't want to know. I'll just put it that way. But, um, but yeah. So we're we're very close now, and um, you know, have a, a very exciting event uh, coming up. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, Creative HQ is the delivery partner, um, but some of the other supporting partners are Grow Wellington. You know, who played a big role in getting me over here. Um, Callahan, of course, and of course the the Hutt City Council are the kind of the four primary stakeholders. Um, and then we have a host of amazing sponsors as well um, involved in that. You know, everybody from um, the IP lawyers, which obviously is very important in the product and manufacturing space. We've Certainly, got a yeah. partnership with AJ Park, which is fantastic. And then, of course, have ANZ and EY on board to kind of help um, with the business end of things. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 been an amazing journey, an amazing ride. Um, you know, when you kind of go through this intense experience, um, you know, these seven uh, ventures these these seven teams have all dedicated um, to participate full time for three months um, and and have really you know they're learning a lot um, in some cases you know you learn a lot about what's not going to work about your product um, can, which can be a pretty heartbreaking thing to learn and you you end up doing what's called a pivot um, where you end up having to kind of um, rebuild everything and this is much easier to do in the digital world where you can just go back and rewrite code um, but in in the physical product space um, you know the impact of, of making a wrong turn can be significant as, as you talk about all the time on this show and the different tech that that you get a chance to play with so um, so yeah it's it's been a, a fantastic experience so far and uh, I hope to be here in uh, New Zealand for quite some time. That's great. I mean, you must be getting exposed to some pretty interesting technologies just from you know what the guys are putting together. 
uh, the guys and girls are putting together at, you know at the at the moment um, I guess you've got some good facilities there in terms of you know making it very easy for them just to uh, get done what they need get access to the right expertise you know 3d printing and all, oh, yeah. all of those sorts of things so you know people that are maybe curious about you know uh, being involved in your you know future programs can can you tell us a little bit like of what that would look like oh yeah I mean that's one of the the fantastic things about the program is we've been able to connect all the teams with the local manufacturing community uh, in the Hutt Valley and the Wellington region, um, you know, bringing in contract manufacturers, um, which has been amazing. Um, yeah, they've got access to 3D printers for rapid prototyping. We've got some Cube Pros. For those of you familiar with the, the Cube Pro, courtesy of uh, Fuji Xerox, um, which, you know, we're not just printing toys on them all the time. I'm sure you, the teams are <laughs> developing prototypes. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it really is an amazing um, amount of resources, and it's really just a challenge in terms of time management, um, both for the organizers such as myself and, and for the teams in terms of, of um, what you can do uh, come demo day. And, and, you know, these companies will go on. We've got everything from... Uh, one company called Kinesics that's doing some auto-focusing technology. There were um, some guys that used to work at Weta, and they've got some really amazing sensors that can you know, do some really cool things. Um, I don't want to say too much about what all these ventures are doing, but we've got another uh, company that has a connected baby product. It's uh, for parents out there who need to uh, uh, take care of their kids and feed them on the go, which is really cool. Um, and then we have an interesting sustainability theme, which I was um, very glad to see. Um, we've got um, one company that's doing um, sustainable surfboards. Uh, we've got another that's doing um, very different things with paper and um, kind of, you know, not recycling it, but repurposing that into to paper notebooks and um, really changing the way that uh, stationery works for corporates. And, oh, yeah, we've got a, 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 yeah something that's more up our alley. We have a, a company making guitar effects pedals as well. And, cool. Um, yeah, just so it's, it's quite a diverse cohort. Um, you know, and, and, and that's what's so cool about it. You know, anybody that can come into the Lightning Lab manufacturing program um, for this program, we only require that they have a prototype, that they were, you know, producing something, and, and even if it was just a crude prototype or they were producing a small batch of something. And But, yeah, so it's... Uh, that sounds really exciting. And so pretty soon these, uh, you know, startups are going to be looking for investors they're, you know, they're. I guess they're. You know, they're all hoping that uh, you know what what they've done to date uh, is going to uh, you know going to have some good opportunities out there, sort of market wise. Uh, they're they're going to be hoping some investments going to come on board. Any investors that are in the in the audience that are curious, what do they need to do to get uh, to get in touch? Yeah, so you can go to lightninglab.co.nz um, and you can follow kind of either the path for the Christchurch program on the digital side if that's more your interest in investing or um, the manufacturing one. And we've got links um, that you can basically check out and, and register your interest if you're an accredited investor. Um, and then, you know, for those that can't make it, um, we generally do a kind of a, what I would call a, a private live stream um, for those to check out the companies and, and see their pitches. So, um, yeah, two really cool events coming up in, in November. And um, I may have, in fact, used the term lightning strikes twice with Lightning Lab demo days. And, yeah, just because in you know, email marketing, sometimes you have to be a bit cheesy, as we would say. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, it's, it, November is going to be a, a, a packed month of, uh, you know, for the investment community and um, being able to see all these companies that are coming out with new businesses and, and services. So. And then for signing up for the next program, when when will that when will the next one start? We're not sure. Um, one of the things you know we like to uh, 
eat our own dog food, as we would say, and, and we want to make sure that we iterate appropriately and, and collect all the feedback from what worked with this program and what didn't. One of the things that we already know is that three months is not long enough for a product development cycle. So you go out with a particular product, you talk to a bunch of customers and um, validate that people are going to pay for it, and any changes that they you know would make, you know, you, you don't necessarily have the time to kind of turn around and um, you know transform that product in, in the way that you might need to. Whereas if you're doing a, a digital product, it's much easier to do that. Uh, the scalability is very different um, in the digital world, of course. So definitely going to have a longer program. Um, at least that's going to be my recommendation. Um, and um, so, yeah, while we can't say for sure where the next manufacturing program is going to be, um, you know, rumor has it that uh, Auckland might be uh, uh, the next spot. So we'll see. But time will tell. The good news is that, you know, there's been a number of people that have come out of the woodwork, so to speak, um, you know, to participate in this program. And, um, you know, I, one of the fantastic things that I've been able to learn you know, really is about the history of, of the number eight wire attitude and the fact that, you know, Kiwis are amazing at coming up with these inventions, um, you know, in their sheds and in their, their garages. And it's really just about giving them the opportunity to kind of take that and, and turn it into to a real business. And so. So you think um, that's a thing, this number eight wire mentality, it, the Kiwi ingenuity? It's not, it's not just something we say about ourselves. This is, uh, it's the real deal. It, it, it's not something that you guys made up. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, as somebody who is a gearhead and, and, you know, I've, I've been really blown away by just, you know, the, the kind of Kiwi approach to things in terms of, um, you know, how, um, you think about, you know, technology and, and, and the world around you. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, there's a long history of that in New Zealand. And a lot of these stories just haven't been told. Like I learned the other day, um, we were talking about uh, one of the upcoming Lightning Lab programs is a, a female founder program. So you need to have at least one um, female in a high-profile role in the company. Uh, it's called Lightning Lab XX. Um, we were talking about this, and, and somebody mentioned, well, you know, women have been inventing things here in New Zealand for a long time, and it's just a matter of the story being told. Um, and so somebody shared that the life jacket, the first life jacket, was actually invented by a woman here in New Zealand. So, again, it, it is true, and that was, you know, probably almost 100 years ago now, if not not more. So, so yeah, it, it's um, a fantastic place. I think I've said the word fantastic like 15 times during this podcast, so <laughs> it's got to be true. <laughs> but yeah, um, really excited to kind of kind of harness a lot of that that energy and that that talent. Great. Well, uh, yeah, a privilege to have you on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So thanks for for making the journey up and 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 seeing us. No, my pleasure. Uh, um, I hope we'll we'll be able to hear from uh, you know from some some of those that have. Uh, you know, been involved in Lightning Lab manufacturing, and uh, you know we'll, we'll get to hear one or two of those uh, those stories in the in the months ahead. So we'll definitely be uh, you know following closely what uh, what happens, and and you know looking forward to uh, you know to more coming out of New Zealand uh, from the manufacturing perspective. And you know I think uh, you know great that uh, Lightning Lab and and the varying partners have sort of recognised the opportunity and been able to make make this happen and yeah from my perspective if uh, if something happens up here in in Auckland in the future from uh, uh, from you guys that will be that'll be good to be a little bit closer to it so yeah uh, yeah, yeah that's great um, now if people want to track you down what's what's the best way to reach you are you on uh, Twitter or what what's your uh, what's your best sort of contact I, I am on the Twitters uh, at, at Sean O'Keefe so S-H-A-W-N-O-K-E-E-F-E 
um, um, I normally have an apostrophe in my last name, but um, computers tend to not like uh, the typographic I, apostrophe. I found, I found that actually when I tried to email you with the apostrophe, and uh, and it bounced back, and uh, I had to take yeah. it out and try try again. Yeah, um, it's it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I could dive into the history of the apostrophe, but you don't you do not want me to do that at this moment. Um, Another podcast. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I could. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to dedicate a whole block of time around the type nerdery, as we would say. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter pretty easily. Um, you can always email me at, at uh, sean dot o'keefe at lightninglab dot co dot nz. Um, and uh, to hear more about what we're up to down in Wellington uh, with that particular program. And yeah, that's great. Well, um, yep, and people can track me down. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Paul Spain. Uh, you can follow me on, on Facebook. I tend to share a, a bit of sort of gadgetry and other bits and pieces on uh, on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn as well. And, yeah, we've got some interesting new podcasts launching very soon, so uh, we'll be talking about those in the in the next few uh, few weeks ahead. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll catch everyone back again uh, on the next episode next week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. And one more thing, we've got a couple of events coming up that we're doing in conjunction uh, with Geek Zone. So there's some community events in Auckland and in Wellington at this stage. Uh, just a chance for those that you know, want to connect with a few other people involved in the, in the tech world. A uh, little bit sort of more community-oriented uh, happening. So uh, we'll fill in on the details on those uh, shortly. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.